0: We read from the Holy Scriptures this evening from the Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. Our text this evening is found in verse 8 of this chapter. We hear the word of God in Philippians, chapter 3. Finally, my brethren... Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Where to we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us, for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction." whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So far, we read from God's holy word. As I said, our text this evening is found in this chapter, Philippians chapter 3, the eighth verse. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may Win Christ. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, this chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians begins with a rather sharp warning. The Apostle Paul is deeply concerned because of the false teachers, Judaizers, that were harassing the church of Philippi. These Judaizers were Jews that were bitter enemies of the church and of the truth of the gospel of Christ. These Judaizers denied the power, the efficacy of the cross of Christ and put their confidence in their own righteousness, emphasizing especially the outward right of circumcision. Apostle Paul had previously warned the Philippians about these Judaizers, but for their spiritual safety he repeats that warning. And we must certainly remember that there's really nothing new under the sun. It's no different today. Today too, there are many who in effect deny the power of the cross. And they put their confidence in themselves in outward form and ceremony in a superficial show of religion. Because this warning arises out of Paul's great love for his brethren in Philippi, he uses Powerful language in this warning against the Judaizers. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Dogs. The derisive Jewish designation for all Gentiles is thrown back at the Judaizers. For they are truly dogs in this sense. Filthy, shameless, scavengers. Beware of evil workers. These Judaizers were certainly full of zeal. They were exceedingly energetic in their efforts to pervert the gospel and to glorify works righteousness. Beware the concision, or really the mutilation. With that terminology, Paul criticizes the Judaizers for their emphasis on The outward rite of circumcision. Beware of such, Paul exclaims, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And then with a powerful argument and using his own life as an example Paul exhorts the Philippians to reject the doctrine of righteousness by works, by the law, by outward forms and rights for Christ's sake. Paul, as it were, challenges the Judaizers. If any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul lays it out. Look at me. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If anyone can trust in the flesh, I can, Paul says. But to the apostle, all these supposedly separate gains became one huge loss for Christ. As the apostle totaled up the column of assets in his ledger, he finds that they are all transferred to the column of liabilities, and they are entered as one gigantic liability, a loss. Paul confesses, but what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ. Christ. Then follows our text, a beautiful confession of the Apostle. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. One thing was above all things precious to the apostle, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. We love it in this season as our children and young people again take up their catechism lessons, as our children and young people are again busy with their studies in school, As the Bible study and society life of the congregation resumes, it's well that we together be reminded that in all of this, we are essentially doing just one thing. We might put it in terms of being involved in the pursuit of excellence, Now, we can speak of the pursuit of excellence in regard to several different spheres. We can talk about academic excellence in our studies. That's certainly commendable. We can talk about the pursuit of excellence with regard to our work or even with regard to a certain sport Pursuit of excellence. But what is that excellence here? It is the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. That knowledge that is set forth in the infallibly inspired scriptures that we are to pursue with all that is in us, must strive to acquire it and to grow develop in that knowledge now and all the days of our lives. And everything in our lives ought to be subservient to that. In a real sense of the word, the pursuit of that excellence must be a total life commitment. In this light, can you honestly say, I don't have time for Bible study. Or, while we're in a hurry, we'll just skip our family devotions. Or, I forgot to learn my catechism lesson. The apostle says, I count all things but laws for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And it's in this light that we consider our text this evening under the theme, The Pursuit of Excellence. And we notice the rich idea, secondly the high purpose, and finally the priceless value. So what is this knowledge that is so precious? Our text says, The Knowledge of Christ Jesus, My Lord. Paul refers to the Savior as he stands revealed in all the preciousness and beauty of his threefold name. This is knowledge of Christ, the anointed one. The knowledge of the one who was ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. This is the knowledge of the one who has revealed to us the counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. The one who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who also makes intercession for us. He is the one who governs us by his word and spirit. This is knowledge of Jesus. Jehovah, salvation, Savior. Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. This is the knowledge of the one who delivers us through the blood of the cross from the corruption and guilt of sin. And this is knowledge of the Lord, the exalted one, Lord, the one who owns us because he bought us with the price of his precious blood. This is the knowledge of the one who, as Lord, rules over us. By his word and spirit, he is Lord, for all power and authority have been given over into his hands. He is exalted in glory. He is seated even at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the knowledge revealed in the Holy Gospel, in the Scriptures. The Scriptures, as the infallibly inspired written record of the revelation of God, are the source of this knowledge. The Scriptures reveal the Savior as Jesus. Christ and Lord. Understand that's true of all scripture. Scripture is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. As Professor Hankel often puts it, the scriptures are, as it were, a portrait of Christ. Christ is on every page of the Bible, in every passage. Scripture reveals Christ in whom God determined to reveal his glory. Scripture reveals Christ in whom God elected his people before the foundations of the world. Christ by whom and for whom all things were made. Christ, who redeemed us by his suffering and death from sin and death and hell. Christ, raised and exalted, who has the preeminence in all things. Christ, we together confessed in the Apostles' Creed. And in Christ... The God of our salvation is revealed in all his sovereignty and almighty power, in all his glory as the ever-blessed God. The knowledge of the scriptures, therefore, you must pursue if you're going to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Further, this excellent knowledge is set forth In our creeds, our confessions, the confessions of the ancient church, the ecumenical creeds, including the Apostles' Creed, which I just mentioned, and which we together confessed this evening, but especially, too, the creeds of the Great Reformation, the three forms of unity, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic or Netherlands Confession, and The canons of the great synod of Dort certainly contain that excellent knowledge in a truly marvelous and eloquent way. Guided by the spirit of truth, these creeds systematize the truth of the word of God. They are a beautiful summary of the truth of scripture. In other words, this knowledge is the reformed faith. Even our distinctive Protestant reformed faith, the Historic Reformed faith proclaims but one theme, the absolute sovereignty of God in all things. That theme proclaims the total depravity of man, his guilt and corruption and inability to do any good apart from grace. That faith proclaims the absolute sovereignty of God's grace in Christ By which the elect are saved and the calling of the redeemed to live lives of gratitude before God. This knowledge must be maintained and pursued at all costs. And the pure preaching of the word must proclaim (coughs) that Christ, the Christ of scripture, as the revelation of the God of our salvation. So, we must have expository doctrinal preaching so that the knowledge of Christ is imparted, so that we grow in that knowledge. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly has an intellectual understanding and apprehension of the Savior. You may recall that the apostle was instructed by the notable Jewish teacher Gamaliel and throughout his life he had been instructed in the Old Testament scriptures and he even had even heard about this Christ from the lips of dying saints as he had for a time joined in their persecution years before And then on the way to Damascus, when the exalted Lord Christ appeared and spoke to him, Paul had truly learned to know Jesus. And since that time, he had learned more and more about his Lord. That intellectual knowledge was important. Paul couldn't really know Christ without knowing all about him. The revelation of Christ had to fill the mind of Paul. And for us too. We may never minimize the importance of an intellectual knowledge of the truth and what a tremendous blessing in this connection is our thorough system of catechizing our covenant youth what a blessing in this connection are our good Christian schools where the instruction is upon the basis and in harmony with God's word of truth For we see about us an awful ignorance in so much of the nominal church the words of the prophet ring true today as never before. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But, more, notice that the inspired apostle writes, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Obviously, this knowledge that Paul had was far more than an intellectual conception, far more than a mere cold assent to the truth concerning Christ. My Lord. What value would all this intellectual knowledge have if he could not say, my Lord. This means that Paul... Personally appropriated this knowledge. Paul was making a personal confession of his Savior. This is a knowledge not just of the head, but of the heart. And this knowledge that Paul had forced him to flee to Christ for salvation, it compelled him to find all his righteousness in Christ. This knowledge forced Paul to seek to know him more and more. And without this spiritual knowledge of the heart, Paul would never really have known Christ. No matter how much he knew about Christ, he wouldn't have known him even if he could lecture hour after hour concerning Christ's incarnation, even if he could write volumes on Christology, he would not really know Christ. Without this spiritual knowledge, his soul would have remained empty and dark. We can try to illustrate this by considering two men. Here they are sitting before tables that are laden with delicious meal, delicacies, delicious steaks, pork chops, if you prefer, a marvelous feast set before them. The one man is a dietitian. And he's able, from a scientific point of view, to analyze the nutritional value of every piece of food there on the table. But the poor man has cancer of the stomach, and he's not able even to sample, take a bite of that food. But the other man has been working hard. He has a... hearty appetite, he is able to sit down and taste and enjoy and relish every bite. And so it is, beloved, with this spiritual knowledge of Christ. We taste, we see, we enjoy. We know Christ experientially. Of this knowledge, the Apostle John wrote in John 17, verse 3, the words of Jesus in his high priestly prayer, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This knowledge is everything, even eternal life. This knowledge is the knowledge of a true and living faith, that unites the believer to Christ. This is the knowledge of one who is in covenant fellowship with God. This, beloved, is the miracle of Scripture's power as wrought by the Spirit of Christ. The Scripture's and believing them bring us to Christ himself we lay hold on Christ we know him this knowledge lifts the sinner out of the misery of his sin and elevates his soul into the heights of father's glory this knowledge carries us out of darkness into the marvelous light of god's friendship and Fellowship. So, what is the purpose of this knowledge? As expressed in the last part of our text, the apostle says that I may win Christ. Now, that I may win Christ must not be understood in a selfish, self-glorifying sense. Paul is not sacrificing one thing just so that he can make a great personal gain in the end. It's true that he's not forgetting himself. It's true that he's seeking to promote his own spiritual welfare, but the purpose of this knowledge is never separated for concern for the glory of God. As Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 11, verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So winning Christ cannot refer to a personal glory or profit like that associated with the simple pleasure of winning a game. He that glorieth, let him glory In the Lord. In the second place, that I may win Christ must not be understood in an Armenian free willist sense. Armenians love to speak about winning Christ, they maintain that winning Christ is something anyone can do of himself through the exercise of his own free will. It's a simple thing. Follow three or four easy steps. Ultimately, they say that for one to win Christ, he must, by an act of his own will, simply accept Jesus as offered to all in the gospel. Be not deceived. Do we not see that that makes God dependent on the whims and wiles of man? That that destroys the sovereignty of God, then God helplessly stands by, as it were, his hands tied, waiting patiently for carnal man to win Christ. Literally, the term "win" here means to gain or acquire. So the idea is that to know Christ, to have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord means that we strive to gain or or acquire an ever greater knowledge of the Savior. That's the pursuit of excellence we're speaking of. That I may win Christ means that my soul hungers and thirsts after Christ, desiring to know him more and more. In the opening chapter of this letter to the Philippians, the apostle had prayed for the saints there in verse 9, that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, in knowledge and in all judgment. Now it's true of course that as soon as the child of God through the work of the spirit appropriates Christ by true and living faith he has in principle won or gained Christ. One does not gain Christ a little bit at a time receiving first one and then another of the riches of Christ until he has completely One Christ, winning Christ is not a piecemeal process, but principally winning Christ is accomplished the moment one has appropriated Christ and all his benefits by faith. Yet although in principle the believer may have won Christ, he continually wins or gains Christ in the way of spiritual growth and development. As we mature spiritually, we see that we really have only a a taste of him and his blessings and we long for a clearer, fuller apprehension of the riches of Christ. As our knowledge of ourselves and our own sins grows deeper, as we grow more sensitive to sin, we realize more and more that we lie in the midst of death, that we have nothing of ourselves of which to boast. When we first believe in Christ, we do not half realize what a wonderful Savior we have. And so the purpose is that in ourselves we become ever more conscious that. Our righteousnesses are but filthy rags, while Christ becomes ever richer and greater as the object and basis for our faith and hope. One of our Protestant Reformed forefathers remarked near the end of his life, These words, I have preached nearly 50 years. If the Lord gave me another 50 years, I still would only scratch the surface. And that's true. So we are exhorted in the scriptures to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. To win Christ is everything. For we know that perfect knowledge of Christ awaits us in glory when we shall no longer see through a glass darkly, but face to face. hope it's already obvious that this knowledge is of priceless value. Paul speaks of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And literally the idea is that this knowledge stands far, far above Everything else. It is an all-surpassing knowledge. It's characterized by super-eminence. Paul is saying that in comparison with this knowledge, all other things lose their value. The knowledge of Christ is so overwhelmingly excellent that compared with it, there is nothing that's important. Paul emphasizes that nothing else can constitute his righteousness before God. Nothing else can possibly be the basis for his confidence and comfort and joy. And we too must confess that the knowledge of Christ is priceless in value. The one all-important thing in our lives must be the knowledge of Christ. Nothing else may replace or be substituted for that. Nothing may even attempt to be on a par with that. Nothing may in any way interfere with that incomparable knowledge. Is that true? True for you? Look at your own priorities. What's important? Your career? Investments? Possessions? Popularity? God forbid. Because the knowledge of Christ is all-surpassing, we must make that the fundamental goal of Of our lives, must search the Scriptures daily, following the example of the Bereans in the book of Acts. Study the Scriptures diligently in our personal devotions, together with our families, and in the communion of saints. prayerfully meditate upon God's Word, delving into its riches, its depths. We must demand the pure and lively preaching of the gospel, the full counsel of God. and we may not let nothing separate us from that faithful church which purely proclaims that gospel, not a career opportunity, not even a boyfriend or a girlfriend. The preaching of the word must proclaim the full Christ as the revelation of the God of our salvation. The preaching of the gospel must lead us to confess with Paul, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. We should notice here that there's a progression in Paul's personal appropriation of this knowledge. First, he says, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And when he says, I count all things but loss, he is including much more than he mentioned in The previous context here in the chapter concerning his Jewish descent and his own works and so on. Now the apostle includes his earthly possessions, his money, his friends, anything and everything that could possibly hinder his knowing Christ. Then there's another step. Paul says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul emphasizes that he had lost whatever was at one time very dear to him for the sake of his Savior. All of those things had been a hindrance to him. They had hurt or injured him by being the objects of his trust and confidence the incomparable preciousness of the knowledge of Christ was still the only thing that mattered. In fact, Paul emphasizes that truth when he says not only that he has suffered the loss of all things, but that he counts them but dung. And that term dung literally has the idea of worthlessness Filth, not only are all those things in which Paul formerly placed his confidence a loss to him, one big liability, but they are as dung, as manure, as refuse or rubbish that must be cast out. Paul emphasizes that his attitude hadn't changed, that he continues to count all things but loss and, dumb. and remember, the Apostle is writing this letter to the Philippians. Looking back over the years of his life, Paul was at this very time imprisoned in Rome, very near the end of his life. Paul reflects on the life he has lived for the sake of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He describes his suffering for Christ's sake in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. Paul suffered weariness and painfulness, hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness. And on top of it all, Paul bore the great responsibility for the care of all the churches. Paul's life clearly demonstrates that he renounced all trust and confidence in his descent and in any righteousness of his own, all his pride of tradition, of ancestry, of Jewish orthodoxy, of outward conformity to the law, and of whatever else had been the object of his confidence before, Paul considers loss. One big zero. Paul would let nothing hinder him from the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Make no mistake, the Apostle Paul could have really gone places, humanly speaking. His was an excellent pedigree. He had a fine education. Paul could have been a doctor of the law. Earthly honor and esteem and fame could have been his... By the grace of God, he was willing to count all things loss, dung, compared with the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And Beloved, we too, by that same grace of God, must count all things but loss and dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. We must not glory in the flesh, but if necessary, we must lose all things for the sake of the knowledge of Christ. Indeed, as Jesus said in Matthew 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Can you say it? Can you say, I count all things but dung that I may win Christ? Can you say, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord? Do you long to gain Christ, to know him more and more, increasingly to make your life conformable to his glory? Can you say that the only thing, the all-surpassing thing in your life is the knowledge of Christ? The apostle did. And all that was connected with his own righteousness, which was of the law, with his privileges and his name and his position and his influence and his fellowship with brethren according to the flesh, all had been counted dung from the first moment that he had begun to taste the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And he was still willing to lose all that pertained to his earthly life and even that life itself, that he might gain Christ. That true view of your life? If it is, children, then... Learning your catechism well is far more important to you than watching television or playing some computer game. If it is, young people, then your Bible means far more to you than all the nice clothing or fancy vehicles or recreational toys in the world. If that's true of you and your life, beloved, then all the pleasures and treasures of this world are nothing to us. And the knowledge of Christ is everything. Knowing Christ, we realize that in him are pleasures forevermore. Treasures never counted. Depths of grace Never fathomed. Riches of love we've never tasted. Heights of glory we've never climbed. A fullness of joy we've never experienced. Knowing him, we feel that we've only just begun, even if we are already growing old. And we long to know him in all his fullness. To see him face to face. To know as we are known. Let us then cry from our hearts this beautiful confession of the Apostle Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So let us experience that unspeakable excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank Thee for Thy Word. Thy Word which holds before us Christ is by thy grace and spirit unto us above all things precious that we might know him even the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering bless thy word we pray unto our hearts and lives young and old alike and may we together strive to grow in that priceless knowledge all our days. To thy glory and praise, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.